For those of you who are visiting, uh, we have been uh, long in this uh, study of the Gospel of Mark. This is what we do here at Ascension as we study books of the Bible. And so we have been working our way chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through this great account of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually been, uh, I looked at my files, it's actually been a year, almost exactly, a year tomorrow uh, since we started our study of the book of Mark, uh, this shortest of the gospel accounts. And today I stand before you to inform you that our days of predictably walking through the book of Mark are over. And maybe that's uh, a thing that you delight to hear uh, based upon the fact that we have been in this book for uh, over a year now or just about a year. Uh, Last week we finished chapter 12 and chapter 13 lies before us. And chapter 13 is an important chapter. It's It's a lengthy chapter and there's much to be studied and much to be said about chapter 13. But in light of our church calendar, in light of where our hearts are headed with Holy Week around the corner, Palm Sunday being next week, uh, I've decided this morning to skip chapter 13, to jump straight into chapter 14 uh, to the story of Peter. And we'll come back, we'll come back to chapter 13 after Easter is over, and then we'll jump around and tie up some loose ends uh, in the latter chapters of Mark, but we're not going to be returning and then preaching sequentially through uh, to the end of Mark, because many of those passages we've wrestled with already, and uh, the passages about Jesus' trial and crucifixion. We'll look at those on Good Friday as well. Um, And so that's kind of the plan for the short term. Uh, So don't despair. Uh, 13 we will return to. But this morning, turn um, to chapter 14, uh, starting with verse 26. And we're going to kind of piecemeal this together. You can see in your bulletin or in the insert that's found in your bulletin that uh, we're going to be jumping uh, around. And the reason I'm jumping around is to piece together one story, one narrative about the life of Peter. And uh, the more I spent time in this passage this week, the more that I am glad that we are here. I'm glad that we're in the story of Peter because I love this account and I love the message that it gives because I need this message. And I suspect many of you need this message as well. And in God's providence, uh, going to Peter is a fitting continuation of where we were last week. Because last week we were speaking of the, the scribes at the end of chapter 12 and, and their spiritual pride and their religiosity. And uh, we warned, Jesus warned against showy spirituality. Um, and today, as we look at Peter, we're going to be again confronted with that idea of spiritual pride. And so as you listen, again, it may be easier for you to follow along in the insert, but as you listen, remember, as you listen to this account, remember that Mark wrote this account, but this is Peter's testimony. This is Peter's eyewitness testimony. And so as we read this story, as you hear this story, Peter is essentially telling Mark, who's recording it, his own story. 
So if you able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 14, jumping all around, beginning at verse 26. Listen as I read. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they all left him and fled. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls came to the high, servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I know, neither do I understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to think for a moment with me as we begin this morning. I want you to think about some of the things in your lives that when you were younger, you swore that you would never do. Maybe they're silly things like some of you guys swearing that you would never own a minivan in your life. Or maybe that you would never cry in public when you saw someone break down. But I'm wanting us to move even more serious than that. Maybe you resolved, as I know I have in more than one instant, maybe you resolved to not respond to your kids as your parents responded to you. Or maybe you resolved that you'd never struggle with that sin that you saw was so prevalent in the life of someone around you. If you're like me, you've said on a number of different occasions in a host of different ways that you wouldn't do things that you eventually, frustratingly, end up doing. The reality is, 
born out of hearts of pride, how easy it is for us to think highly of ourselves. We just don't think, we just don't believe that we are capable of certain things. And indeed, the air that we breathe, the cultural air that we breathe, feeds that to us. Well, our passage this morning speaks to us and speaks to that specifically, and it does so with two glorious realities that guide us this morning. And the first one is this. You are not as strong as you think you are. You are not as strong as you think you are. It's noteworthy, I think, to to notice that Mark here intertwines the stories of Peter and Jesus, almost as if he's setting the two against one another, as examples in part to follow. It's appropriate because they each are about to be on trial. Jesus is about to officially be on trial. Peter is about to unofficially be on trial. And you've got to love Peter. We have come to love Peter in this study of the book of Mark. Peter has been close to the, to the Lord for years now, following by his side. And he's been one of Jesus' most brashest, most vocal followers, and not always in a positive way. You might remember earlier in Mark, Peter was the lone disciple who spoke correctly in confessing that Jesus was the Christ. And yet right after that, he's quickly rebuked for putting his foot in his mouth and soundly rebuking Jesus when Jesus predicted his own death. Peter knew how to put his foot in his mouth. But we gotta, we got to give him some points for trying. I mean, after all, the passage that we just read, all of these verses that I pieced together to get the flow of his story, at least Peter is the only disciple that didn't completely abandon Jesus. He didn't completely run away. He's at least hanging around. And yet the scenes that we just read are scenes of absolute failure. And first, in verses 29 and 31, there's his response to Jesus' prediction, a prediction that the disciples will ditch him once his arrest and trial begins. But just like back in chapter 8, Peter doesn't believe it. There it was Jesus' future that he was doubting. Here it is Peter's own future that he is doubting. It's more than just denial. It's, it's disdain on the part of Peter. Points his finger at the other disciples and their weakness. They'll ditch you for sure, Lord. But not me. Not me. Not only will I not ditch you, Lord, but they can kill me if that's what they want to do. If that's what it comes to, Peter was willing to go the extra mile. But notice how everything changes. Peter's now slinking around the courtyard. He's close enough to observe what's happening to Jesus. And he's suddenly recognized and confronted. And that confession of Christ, that firm commitment of a few hours ago, suddenly dissipates and Peter claims to have no idea who Jesus even is. 
And after unsuccessfully slipping into the shadows of the gateway, he finally invokes a curse after being confronted again. He won't even mention Jesus' name. And we say, wow, Peter, how, how easily fear for your own life and fear for your own personal safety has trumped this steadfast allegiance that you claim to have just hours earlier to the Messiah. Peter's going through all of this. Meanwhile, Jesus is before the council getting hit and being spat upon. And I know it's easy for us to sit here, it's easy for me to sit here and to be tempted to think that certainly we would do better. Would we do better, better than the man who had walked with Jesus for these many years, who had been eyewitnesses of his majesty? The Apostle Paul spoke to the Corinthian church about learning from the uh, mistakes of the Old Testament people of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See, our passage is talking about the grace that it takes to walk with Jesus, not just the grace that it takes to come to Jesus but the grace that it takes to walk with Jesus. And this, I contend, is so much harder for us to digest because it's so hard for us to live this. I mean, how, e- how easily I can identify, maybe you too can identify with this zeal that Peter has for the Lord, for staying true to the Lord Jesus. How easily we slip, like the scribes of last week, how easily we slip into performance mode in order to keep God's favor. But let us take heed lest we fall. Brothers and sisters, as we think about applying this to our Lives. This is not just about denying the faith, about being put in a position like Peter. This is about living the faith. It's about walking as a follower of Jesus in the mundane, in the Monday morning. Peter here, through Mark, through the Holy Spirit, given to you, the church, reminds us this morning that we are broken, that we are not as strong as we think we are, that I am a mess and that you are a mess too. But that's okay, because this is the church, and the church is a place for people who are messes. Because the church is a place of grace. And there's a real specific application for us, the church, in regards to this point of we're not as strong as you, we think we are. Don't just think this about yourself, but think this about your neighbor as well. Not that you assume the worst in your brother or sister here sitting next to you. Not that you assume the worst, but don't assume the best. Don't assume everything's okay. 
press in. I'm not as strong as I think I am. So surely you're not either. How can I know you? How can I pray for you? I've been on a Rich Mullins kick recently. Everybody knows I love music, and I've been on a Rich Mullins kick ever since I went to a concert where one of his songs was sung. And he has a song title that came into my mind. Of course it did uh, when I looked at the life of Peter. The song is, We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are. That's the song title. I want to read a couple verses in the chorus Well, it took the hand of God Almighty to part the waters of the sea, but it only took one little lie to separate you and me. We are not as strong as we think we are. And the master said their faith was going to make them mountains move, but me, I tremble like a hill on a fault line just at the thought of how I lost you. We are not as strong as we think we are. And then the chorus, we are frail, but we are fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these, our hells and our heavens so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. What a great lyric what a great truth to be reminded by Peter this morning that we're not as strong as we think we are, but that's okay. More than that, we need this. We need to remember this, particularly in light of this next truth that we have this morning, and it's this. God's grace is stronger than you think. Yes, you are not as strong as you think you are, but God's grace is stronger than you think. Now, we don't see it fully in in full technicolor here, but Jesus still, in subtle ways, shows us the beauty of his grace. First of all, simply in the fact that he knows your weakness. He knows our weakness. He knows Peter's weakness. Jesus knew his disciples' pending desertion. He knew of Peter's desertion. He said it was going to happen. Psalm 103 declares, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Not only does he know our frame from afar, but Jesus, our great high priest, Hebrews 4 says, has walked in our shoes. He knows our weaknesses because he's lived and submitted himself to the weakness of human flesh. Jesus knows us. But there's another word of grace in this passage. Jesus has just prophesied that those closest to him will abandon him, only to follow it up with this phrase. Did you catch this phrase? But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, I'll be waiting, guys. 
This is all going to come full circle. I will restore you. It will be okay. In the same breath that he speaks of their desertion, he proclaims that after all of their running is over, he will be waiting for them in their home region of Galilee, in the place that he originally called them. God's grace. Even before Peter is confronted with his weakness, God's grace has been spoken. This is grace that transforms. Jesus is doing something with his disciples here. He's doing something with Peter. He's doing something with each of us. We've talked about before, the Bible is littered with failures. Abraham's lies, Noah's drunkenness, David's adultery, murder, all failures. And yet beneath it all is the sovereignty, the mysterious sovereignty of God. See, Peter's failure is part of what God is doing in his mystery. It's part of his refinement. Even as Jesus predicts the scattering of his followers, he does so quoting Zechariah 13, which the context of that passage is the refining of God's people to create a new people. And Peter's life indeed will become one of the greatest trophies of God's grace. In Acts, Peter boldly proclaims the gospel. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And then church history tells us that Peter's death was one that proclaimed his Savior and his allegiance to him. Certainly those things proclaim the fact that Peter is a trophy of God's grace, but even this very account, that it's here, that it's recorded, that it was recorded from the mouth of Peter. Only Peter himself could report all of this intimate detail about how he terribly failed. And yet brash, bold Peter has obviously learned incredible humility. God's grace had transformed him. It didn't make him perfect, but it did steal him for a life of service. And how did this happen? I mean, Judas, another close follower of Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus and ended up taking his own life. Peter betrays Jesus and is changed. So what's the difference? The difference is humility. The difference is repentance. Luke paints this picture even more vividly in this account when he records that Peter and Jesus' eyes met. Can you imagine the shame that Peter felt? And yet Peter was broken. He recognized that he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. And he again ran to his Savior. And Jesus himself had prayed for this. In Luke 22, Simon Satan has demanded to have you, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you.
The scriptures declare this morning that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so the call is to come mindful of our weakness. Come to him and recognize his plentiful grace. Paul continues that passage I read earlier after proclaiming that God's grace is sufficient. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And this is, this is the paradox of the Christian life. As we come to the end of ourselves, not just one time, but over and over, as we come to the sufficiency of another, we are saved. So brother, sister, let's indeed be realistic about our weakness this morning. Let's recognize that we are not as strong as we think we are, but let's rejoice and revel in God's grace. Casting all of your failures, all of your lack of resolve, all of your sin, in the immeasurable well of God's grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for such a word of truth and comfort and grace. And we confess our hearts are naturally prideful. And prone to keep record of not only our failures, but our accomplishments. And, and we seek to do the math of, of which outweighs which. And then determine how much you love us. Then answer the question, how much do you care? Oh, Father, may... The only math that we do in our head be the equation that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Holy Spirit, may grace be large as we go from this place. Greater than our sin. Greater than our regrets and our failures. so great that it overflows to those who desperately live searching and weighed down. Oh, Father, use us as you see fit. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.